0: Good morning. Oh, hey, it's working. So today we're going to read scripture together from the book of Esther. We're going to be in the second chapter, and the verses will be 1 through 3. And if you would, please stand with me as we read God's word. That's Esther, the second chapter, verses 1 through 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there's an usher in the aisle. Just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to keep it. That would be our gift for you. And I'm going to be reading from this little pamphlet of just the book of Esther, and it's the second chapter, first verse. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Esther and for what you're going to teach us through Pastor Mike and the reading of your word. We ask you to bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. You can have a seat now. My name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. If we've never met, I would sure love to do that. And so there's just a couple of ways that we can do that. First, if you want, uh, I'm going to be out in the courtyard after church. Love to shake your hands, hug, whatever you're into uh, out there. Uh, Another way that we can meet, if you want to, you can just send me a text, 602-763-3331, and we can connect that way. And then the final way that we can meet is at the end of the service, you'll hear about our Connect card. If you'll just give us some basic information and trust us with that, we promise to be good stewards, and I will reach out this week. So, uh, in case you haven't been able to tell by the weather, it's definitely summertime. I mean, we are in the throes of summer, it's hot here, and there's a lot of bad things about the summer living in Phoenix, but there's some good things like movies. Summer is when all the very best movies come out, it's when the big blockbusters uh, come out, and there's nothing quite like going to the movies and, and sitting there and eating some popcorn and enjoying that. But one of the things that I notice when I go to the movies is, as you're sitting there watching a movie, sometimes you'll you'll notice that a particular movie will have a particular character that you sort of just can't imagine anybody else playing. Like that, they, like they're the perfect fit for that role. Uh, so, for example, uh, this is uh, Bonnie Wright. There's a picture of Bonnie Wright, and she plays the role of Ginny Weasley in the in the Harry Potter movies. All right, there's people that like Harry Potter. I threw this in for my daughters because they like Harry Potter. We just saw, we went there to Universal Studios, and we went and had all the butterbeer. We had all the different ways that. You you can consume butterbeer, and anyways, this girl plays this role. And what's fascinating about it is she's never been in any other. She had never been in any other movie. She wasn't a Hollywood kid. She wasn't anything like that. But when her brother read the stories, the Harry Potter books, he said that sounds just like my sister. This character sounds just like my sister. And so he convinced his sister to try out. And so she tried out for the role, and she got it. And now, if you've seen the movies, you can't imagine anybody else playing. Here's another one. Uh, this is a picture of Peter Ostrom. He plays Charlie, right? He plays. Charlie Buckets in the the first Willy Wonka, the the right one, not the one that they redid and screwed everything up, right? The the real one, yes, amen to that. He plays this role, and what's amazing about him is he never went on to play anything else. He actually became like a farmer afterwards, and he has goats and sheep, and never went into the showbiz or anything like that. But when you see this movie, and you see him next to Gene Wilder right there, he is the perfect kid for this role. It's fantastic. And then here is my favorite story of a person who plays the role perfectly, of which Nobody else on earth can play this. This is Rocky Balboa, right? This is Sylvester Stallone. Very good. Uh, Sylvester Stallone plays the role of Rocky Balboa. And what is amazing is that when Rocky, when Sylvester Stallone, they're just so together. When Sylvester Stallone wrote the screenplay for Rocky, which he wrote in three and a half days, Hollywood execs did not want Sylvester Stallone to play the role. He had only been in a real small couple of other films. They didn't think he was right for it. And so they offered to pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars for the right, it's... <laughs> to the screenplay. And he said, no, definitely not. Like I, It's my role. I wrote it for myself. I need to do it. And so he went on to play the role, and now we can't imagine anybody else saying, yo, Adrian! I did it! I mean, it's just great. It's him, right? And, and all of these characters are so unlikely. They were just unlikely. It was unlikely for Bonnie Wright to get that role. She'd never done anything else. It was unlikely for Peter Ostrom to get that role. It was unlikely for Sylvester Stallone to get that role. But sometimes unlikely characters are the perfect fit for the role that they play in the stories that they're in. These unlikely characters are just perfect for the role. And so last week, we started out a series in Esther. Uh, It's a book that we're reading through Esther. We're going to go through every single verse in this this book. It's going to take us seven weeks to get through it. We're going through the story of Esther. And in this, it is a reminder that God has been authoring a story since the beginning of time. Some people will say, I really love this story, Esther. I like studying the book of Esther because I love studying about this woman, Esther. And I say, that's fantastic it's great to learn about Esther, but this story is not mostly about Esther. It's mostly about God working through people to carry out his plan in this big, huge story that God is authoring. I want you to remember that God is writing this unbelievably amazing story that sounds like this. Just imagine, if you will, that the entire stage is a timeline. Just imagine this is the beginning of the story, and that's the end of the story over there. And this is what it's like. In the very, very beginning, God makes the world, and everything is perfect, and it works great. that's when he makes Adam and Eve the pinnacle of his creation, and it's wonderful. And he tells them, you can do anything you want. You can have this amazing world that I've given you where I've created everything in it. Just don't do that one thing. And you know what they do? They do just like what you and I would do. They do the one thing that they're not supposed to do. They sin. And when they sin, brokenness and sin enters the world. That's what happens. And on that same day that God says, hey, you can't be in the garden anymore. You've got to get out. He says, one day I'm going to make everything right. One day I'm going to send a Savior down, and that Savior is going to make everything right. He's going to fix all of this, and all the brokenness will go away. And so from that promise all the way up until the time when Jesus comes, that is called the Old Testament. And the story of the Old Testament sounds a lot like God chose a people. He made a people for himself. He took Abraham and said, I'm going to make a nation for myself from you. And he says, all you need to do is just follow me and listen to me. And the people struggled to follow God and listen to God. And because they struggled to follow God and listen to God, they eventually found themselves in captivity. They were were enslaved in Egypt. That's what happened in the Old Testament. But God sent somebody. He sent Moses to go and pull them out of captivity. That's called the Exodus story. And when they came out of captivity, they said, hey, we could probably follow God better if we just had some rules. And so God gave them some rules to live by. That's called the Ten Commandments. God said, live by these rules. He calls Moses up onto a mountain. He gives them these ten rules and says, just live by these ten rules. And while they were up there, while, while God was up there talking to Moses, the people, so unable to follow even the simplest of rules, made for themselves a new idol and started worshiping that. And so when when Moses came down, he said, here it is. Here's the Ten Commandments. Just We're going to try to live by this. And they struggled to live by that. That and the other laws. That's all the laws. That's all written in the Old Testament. We see that in Deuteronomy and several books in the Old Testament. Leviticus talk about this. And so the people say, well, if we just had some judges that would help us interpret the rules, help us interpret the laws, that would be really helpful. And so we get into the period of the judges. And you'll notice several judges. If you really like studying women in the Bible, you might study, study Deborah there. She's in there. We, we learn about that. That's a great stories about that. And the people continue to struggle with all these rules. And so the people say, what we really need is a king. If we could just get a king like the other nations, that would be so helpful to us. And so God gives them a king. We go through all these kings. That's David. That's Solomon. That's all these kings. And yet the people still can't figure out how to follow God and listen to God. Because as it turns out, what God knew on the day that he had Adam and Eve leave the garden and what was pointed to throughout the time of the judges and throughout Moses and the Exodus and the kings and all that stuff, is that what the people were really desperate for, what the people really needed, is what you and I still need today, and that is the Savior, and he came as a baby in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus Christ, and he came to save the world. Jesus came as a baby, he lived a perfect life, died a horrific death, and then defeated that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him, and then one day, Jesus is going to come back, and when Jesus comes back, he's going to judge all the people in the world, and those who believe in him will spend eternity with him. That is the entire story in a nutshell. That is the entire Bible, in just right here in front of us, that's what it looks like, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this story of Esther happens at the beginning of it, at the, in the time called the Old Testament, but it's all about God. This entire story is about God. The entire Bible is about God. It is not predominantly about Esther or Mike Lee or any other person that has ever walked the face of the, of the earth. This is God. God's huge story. And all throughout this story, God chooses unlikely characters to play roles in it. God chooses unlikely people to be part of this story that he's writing, this story that he's authoring and creating. And it shows that that it's just regular people that do this. And so if we think about it, this is with a big kind of idea that I want you to know today, God's story is filled with unlikely characters. God's entire story is just filled with these unlikely characters, people that you and I probably would not have chosen, and yet God did. People that you and I would have probably thought, well, that's probably God. That's, is that your best choice? I don't know that that's your best choice. And yet God did. Abraham didn't even know God, but God chose him to be the father of the nations. Right? God, if you were saying, hey, God, you should probably make a people for yourself. Who do you want to do it? God's like, well, I'm going to take Abraham. And you and I might have been like, Abraham, are you sure? Because Abraham doesn't even really know you yet right? And yet still, that's who God chose. And then he chose Moses. Moses was not a great public speaker, and yet God chose Moses to go to the most powerful man in the world at that time and say, hey, let my people go. David was a flawed young man, and he wasn't even the strongest in his own family, and yet God chose him to be the king of a nation. Paul was out persecuting Christians, and yet God chose him to go out and to tell people about Jesus so that more Christians would come. And today we will see how God chooses Esther. He's going to choose Esther because God chooses unlikely characters. He simply chooses unlikely characters. I think sometimes that we walk around thinking that all this stuff happens on accident. Like everything that just happens, just just sort of happens. It's like Esther just happens to become queen, or Abraham just happens to become the father of God's people. But that would be to believe that God is not in control of stuff. Uh, and, and he's not in control of the stuff that happens right here. God literally chooses stuff, works in and through stuff. And so as we look at this story, we see how Esther gets picked. We're going to see how she becomes queen. And it's an unlikely way that she becomes queen. A lot of things have to happen. This story is rich in detail about all the things that she has to go through. So you'll remember from last week that before Esther can become queen, there has to be an opening for queen. Like there's not even a need for a queen at the beginning of last week's chapter in chapter one because there is a queen. Her name is Vashti and everything's totally fine. And then she ticks off the king and he banishes her. He throws her out. And now there is an opening. There's an opening because Queen Vashti has been removed. She she's done something wrong, and so now there's this opening, and that's where we open up today, if you will, just in Esther two one through four. We're going to read through every bit of this uh, of, of these verses today. So let's read along together. It Says this after these things, when the king when the anger of King Asheraris had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done. We remember last week. What did she do? She didn't go to the party. He asked her to come to a party, and she didn't go. She he got mad. Come to my party? No you're out. It's like that. It's not good. He ends up sleeping on the couch, I'm sure. It's not good. That's what happens. He says, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king and so he did it. So basically a search committee gets put in place. Let's start a search committee. Let's have a search committee to, to get us a new queen. And where are we gonna choose? From, like, who are we going to choose? Well, all the women. Let's just get all the women in the entire area. Like, this guy must be so fantastic that in order to pick a suitable wife, every single virgin woman in this entire area has to come and live at his house, and he's going to choose one of them. This is a lot of women. There's a whole lot of women that are going to come now and live here with him, and he's going to pick one of them. And one of the women that shows up is Esther. We see that in verse. 5 through 8, it goes on and says, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with... Jaconia, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon had carried away. He was bringing up Hadesh, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order came and his edict were proclaimed and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. So, Esther, the adopted daughter of Mordecai, whose family is only even in this area because they were part of the Jewish captives that King Nebuchadnezzar took away, is also taken to the king's palace to be included in this large pool of women. And she's placed under the charge of Haggai, who's in charge of all these women. You got to bring all these women together. Somebody's going to be in charge of them. Look out over them until it's their time to go and see the king. This is a lot of women, and I want us to notice how much detail is going on in this story there is an unbelievable amount of detail. Some people really like studying Esther because there's so much detail in it. If you were with us while we were studying through the book of James, we know that James was written in like bullet points. It's like fast and hard and boom, boom, boom. But in Esther, it's nice and slow. It's like laying out like a novel. It is much detail. It's given us so much detail. And in this story, this rich in detail, the thing that I want us to understand is just how unlikely a candidate it is for Esther to become queen. I mean, this is so unlikely that she. She's going to get chosen. I mean, all the women in this entire kingdom are brought there. All the women who are not married yet are brought there. Some historians say that there was hundreds, but perhaps thousands of women. And so she's got like a one in thousands chance of becoming the queen. And so, and not only that, but she doesn't even happen to be part of the, the nationality of the kingdom. She happens to be Jewish. It goes on in 9 through 11. It says this, and the young woman pleased him and won his favor. So this young woman, Esther, pleased Haggai. The king's servant, the king's uh, person that's watching over her, and he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. She gets kind of like the top billing in the harem amongst all these other women because she's so pleasing to the king's like assistant. He's like, I, I think she's pretty good. The king might like her. Let me move her up a little bit. This is very unlikely. It says here Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Just key in on this little bit of detail for a second. If she had walked in and said that she was Jewish, more than likely this official, this this assistant to the King would not have moved her up into this high station. That's not where she would have belonged. He would have probably pushed her further down in the harem. But Mordecai, being wise, said, Hey, don't tell anybody yet that you're Jewish. Just go in there and let your beauty and your awesomeness and your, your skills and all that kind of speak for itself. Don't tell anybody who you are. And so this happens, and it says, Every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Esther is doing as Mordecai directed. She's keeping her her heritage, her lineage all of that in secret, and this will become so important eventually because Esther is going to play a very important role in this story, and the fact that she's Jewish is going to have so much to do with it. But what I want us to totally get before we go any further is how unlikely a character Esther is in this story. Think about all the things that have to happen before Esther can possibly become queen, and we haven't even introduced her to the king yet. Just look how it just seems crazy that she would even be there. She is a fatherless, motherless child who lives with her uncle and she gets brought into this harem where if they would have known she was Jewish, she would have probably got secondary billing and instead she gets this top billing. This is so unlikely, but I want us to remember that God chooses unlikely characters for his story all the time. This is just what God does. If you're just reading through this story, you're like, oh, this sounds totally like God. This sounds like exactly like God would do. The most unlikely character, she's probably going to become queen. But it kind of doesn't make sense. So how will Esther go from being this very young woman who's being raised by Mordecai to a queen? Well, she's going to get prepared. Because I want us to know this today, church. God prepares unlikely characters for his story. God prepares unlikely characters for his stories. Throughout history, we see that God, through the circumstances of life that people go through, he is preparing them for the work that he has for them. Moses was prepared to lead God's people in the wilderness through the trials of leading God's people out of captivity. A lot of times when we think about the story of Moses, we think about him going to Pharaoh. We think about him going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And then we forget that he literally walked those people around. He led those people around in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a long time to lead a group of people around. People that are getting tired of following you. And it was through the circumstances, like Moses is like, hey, look, you're going to grumble and complain. I literally walked up to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Like, I, like your whining isn't going to like phase me too much. It's sort of like if, you've like if you've been married for two years, right, and then like your toddlers start complaining, it's like, oh, come on, we got this. We, 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 we like lived on ramen noodles. You, we don't care what you have to say, little kid. We, we've been through the trials. We get it, right? And so here, like Moses was prepared. David was prepared. He was prepared to pass the kingdom to his son after years of trials where he'd fallen and where he'd failed, where he'd repented often. And Esther will also be prepared. And so how does Esther get prepared for this? How does this? Happened. let's look at verses 12 through 13 it says now when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king asheras after being 12 months under the regulations for the women since that was the regular period of their beautifying six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women when the young women went into the king in this way she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace esther spent 12 months getting ready to meet this king but you should imagine that for a second imagine, Like, on on our anniversary, Penny and I went out to dinner. It was really, really nice. And she spent, like, she spent the better part of the day getting ready for me. I mean, this was really, like, a nice surprise. Like, when I got home, she had, like, got her hair done and her nails done. I was like, that's fantastic, man. She spent a whole, the better part, she's a busy woman. And I'm not, you know, a great-looking guy or anything. I just took a shower real quick and put on a shirt. But she took some time and got herself ready. The queen, this woman, she's spending a year getting ready to go see the king. She spends a year doing beautifying stuff. I don't know what women do in the bathroom, a lot of stuff happens in there, like there's a lot of There's a lot of things on the countertop. I don't know what it's all used for, but there's a lot of things, a lot of tools, a lot of accessories, but usually that gets done in an hour or three, right? Like guys, like somewhere in an hour, somewhere between an hour and three hours, your wife's usually ready to go get dinner. This woman spends a year getting herself ready to go see this dude. There's a lot of prep that happens. And during this time, she had to do all sorts of beautifying things and rituals, and she had to stay in the good favor of the attenders this whole time. Imagine this, you are competing with like thousands of other women here to be the queen. Like you are like amongst all these other women. And so if you tick somebody off, if you're aggravating, if you like frustrate somebody, like you might get pushed down. And so she's doing this. She is being prepared presumably for this one meeting that she's going to have with the king. And I want you to imagine for a moment and just continue to grasp how unlikely she is to get picked. Just imagine that during this entire time she never like offends this one attendant, ticks him off, aggravates him so that he pushes her to the back of the line. During this time she just continues to just go along with this and continues to get ready. It is crazy to spend this much time getting prepared with one night, and based on the encounter that she's going to have with the king on that one night, it will be determined whether she will be made queen or go back to the secondary harem, perhaps indefinitely. We study this story and we're blown away that Esther gets picked and then we thinking about the thousands of other women that don't get picked. They go into the king's place too. He looks at them, talks to them, does whatever kings do with women when they come and spend the night. This is G-rated. I don't know what happens in there. But then they like leave and they don't get picked. Like They didn't get the rose. This is not like everybody gets a rose. Like That's not what's happening here. So there's much preparation that's taking place for this one night and this one encounter with the king and then eventually it happens. Eventually she meets the king. This is what it says in the text, verses 14 through 16. It says, in the evening she would go in and in the morning she would return to the second harem in the custody of Shangaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubine. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and She was summoned by name. So when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Amabel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked him for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had in charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, and when Esther was taken to the king Asheraris into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Teba, in the seventh year of his reign. So after all this preparation and all this detail, Esther finally Gets to see the king. Esther goes through so much preparation, but that should not surprise us because God prepares unlikely characters for his story all the time. If Esther would have walked in and saw the king on day one, she probably wouldn't have been chosen. She has to be prepared. She has to be ready. She has to do certain things in order to be ready for this, and God is at work in all of it. To see that God is in work in the entire story, and to see that he's at work in the story of Esther, and to think that God was not at work during the one year that she spent beautifying herself It just wouldn't make any sense. God is at work in all of this. And so finally, after all of this, Esther becomes queen. Why? Because God places unlikely characters. Church, I want you to know that God places unlikely characters. He places them where he wants them. This is what it says in verse 17 through 18. It says, the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she won grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. So finally, Esther is made queen. And because of this, she has been placed in a position where she can do something of significant importance. A woman during this time period was not in a position to be able to do much of significant importance, but now she has been made queen. And this is going to become very, very important in just a couple of weeks in this story, because in just a couple of weeks in this story, we're going to see that God's chosen people, the Jewish people, people of whom Esther is part of, are going to be in serious danger. They're going to be in serious danger because an evil man with an evil plot is going to have a desire to have all of God's chosen people killed. And the king would have had nothing to say about it. And if it weren't for Esther being in this place at this time, being used by God, God's people may have been in serious damage. If this evil plot had been conceived and carried out while Queen Vashti was still in, in, in the, on the throne, God's people would have been in a serious predicament. But God has placed her. She has he has placed her. He has put her in this plot. God has bigger plans. God has allowed Vashti to be removed. He has allowed for a major search to take place. He has allowed Esther to spend a year prepping for this one night meeting with the king and she has been chosen presumably to, by the king to be her queen. And I see that we can see through all of this that God is really writing this story. God is really making all of these things happen to carry out what he wants to happen. Placed in an unlikely character. Prepared an unlikely character. And now she's placed. She's set on the throne. She's going to be the queen. She's prepared for this thing. And what will she do? What will she do? She'll have to act courageously to ensure God's people are taken care of. Esther has been placed in this position, but that really shouldn't surprise us because God places unlikely characters in his story to carry out his plan all of the time. And so if you're here today, you might be saying, well, this is fantastic for Esther, but what does this have to do for me? You might be sitting here thinking, well, that's great. What a cool story about Esther, but what does this have to do with me? I'm living here in America in 2022. Maybe you don't see what's going on, but it's kind of rough, and I have my own problems, and I have my own things going on. I have my own problems. I have my own story that's going on. I got my own trials going on. I- I- I'm struggling with some things. What does this have to do with me? I mean, did you really gather all these people in the room today to just tell them a really cool story about this woman named Esther? I mean, if it was a story, it would be a good one. We could all agree with that. This would be a good story. If it was just a story, it would make a good story. If this was a movie, we'd probably go watch it. We'd probably go watch it and get popcorn and enjoy it. It would probably make a fantastic movie. We don't know who would play the lead role, somebody really good. It'd probably be really good. If this was a miniseries on Disney+, Plus, we would be waiting for the next episode. We would be ready. We'd be like, all right, we've seen episode three. Like, What happens in episode four? I can't wait to see what happens now that Esther's been made queen. We'd be so excited. But this is more than all of that because this is a small part of a much- bigger story that we are all a part of. I said this last week, and I want to remind you that you are as connected in God's big story to Esther as you are to the person sitting right next to you, a story where God is reconciling his people to himself, a story where God is making a way to save not just the people in Esther's time, but the people in all time. And so here's what I want you to know today. If you are a Christian, if you have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you were chosen too. Church, if you have believed in Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus, you were chosen too. Ephesians 1 4 through 6 says this Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praises of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You were chosen. One of my favorite things that's ever happened in this church, since we planted this church, a little boy said, hey, hey, in the middle of the sermon, he just yells out, hey, my name is Samuel, and I was chosen. And I love that. That's the coolest thing that's ever happened. And This little boy just, just yells out. I just like it when little kids yell in the middle of the church service. I don't like it when adults do it, but I like it when little kids do it. This kid said, hey, my name is Samuel, and I was chosen. And this is a good reminder that just like Abraham or Moses or David or Esther, God chose you. If you have believed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you have been chosen. God chose you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You could have never got it on your own. God just chose you. He just decided to love you in the same way that he decided to love Abraham and he decided to love Esther. You were chosen. You were not a mistake. God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew everything you had ever done wrong. You are an unlikely character to be chosen, and yet he chose you anyway. Christian, be excited that Esther was chosen, but also be excited that you were chosen. The second thing is also true, if you are a Christian, you have been and are being prepared. You have been and are being prepared. Esther couldn't have been queen on day one. She had to be prepared for it. She had to go do some stuff. And you and I are being prepared. This is what it says in Philippians 1, 3 through 6. It says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance for you always in every prayer of mine. For you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. You are being prepared. Begun a good work in you on the day that He chose you and He is preparing you for the work that He has you to do. As I think about my life, I think about all the different things that I've been through. Everything I ever have gone through has helped prepare me for what I'm going through today. Every single thing that I've ever gone through has helped prepare me for what I'm doing today. I think about the fact that I lived for 18 years not knowing Jesus. 18 years of my life I was not a Christian. And that gives me a heart now, a desire to tell people about Jesus. All of those years, going through life not knowing Jesus, only to find out who he really was and that he saved me has prepared me to tell people about him. I think about all the things that I did growing up without Christian parents and how much that makes me want to be at a church like this where we partner with parents to raise kids who love Jesus. I just think about all the different things in my life and if you were to look at all the things in your life that have happened to you, that have happened to you, that you've endured all of it in God's big story, you are being prepared for what he has for you right now. And likewise, whatever you're going through right now, the hard stuff you're going through, the the, the fun stuff you're going through, everything you're going through is helping to prepare you for what God is going to do for you next. And as your pastor who loves you, and some of you are like, hey, you're not my pastor. I'm just visiting. Just let me play the role today. Let me play the unlikely role of your pastor today and say that as your pastor who loves you, I know that God has and is preparing you for the work that he has for you. I know you don't feel qualified. Heck, I don't feel qualified. But I want you to remember that God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. That's what he does. He chooses us and then he prepares us. So Christian, be excited that Esther was prepared. Be excited, but also recognize that you are being prepared. And then finally is this. If you are a Christian, you have been placed. You've been placed You've been placed. Esther was placed in this spot to do something that she is going to do, and it's going to be so good. God's going to do it through her. It's going to be so good. But you have been placed too. Maybe you haven't been made a king like David or a queen like Esther, but you have been placed in God's family to tell others about him. This is what it says in Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's so inclusive. Anybody can do this. Anybody that believes in Jesus, anybody can do this. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you can believe that Esther was strategically placed in a position to do that, that which God wanted her to do, you can also believe it about yourself. That you were placed where you are supposed to be to do the work that God has for you. That you were placed in your family, in your business, in your school, in your community to go out and tell people about Jesus. To tell them about this God who has written this unbelievable story of reconciliation and how that God has been chasing his people down since he asked them to leave the garden so long ago. That is what God is doing. You have been placed there. You were not an accident. You are exactly where God wants you to be. So Christians celebrate that Esther has been placed to do her part in God's story, but recognize also that you've been placed in God's story to do your part. Church, if you are a Christian, you have been chosen, prepared, and placed. And if you're not a Christian, you can become one right now. If you're not a Christian, you can become one right now. Romans 10, 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you can believe that. You can know that God chose you. Some people say, like, I don't know. I don't know if God chose me or not. Well, can you believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Because if you can believe that, the scriptures say that you wouldn't be able to believe that if you weren't chosen. If you weren't chosen, you wouldn't even be able to believe that. You wouldn't be able to grasp that. If you can believe that, you can be knowing that you're chosen. And if you are chosen, you can know that he will prepare you and he will place you. And so if you've never believed, I want to invite you to believe. Can you believe today? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this huge story where you have just chased your people down. And we're humbled that we get to be part of it. That you've used unlikely people all throughout your story. Unlikely characters all throughout this unbelievable story. And that we get to be in this story with them. That you've chosen us. God, help us to know Help us to know that we're chosen. Help prepare us for the work that you have for us. And Lord, place us wherever you would have us do the work. And God, if there's anybody in this room today that's never believed in you, maybe they just came to church today and they just never believed in you, Lord, I I ask you to give them faith to believe. Help them to believe, to know you, to know how much you love them. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.